everyone. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to the Grim Curriculum, and thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for joining us. I've been in a fucking jolly-ass mood all day because today is my Friday, and all us girls at work went for lunch, and it was super awesome, and it's just been a good day. That does sound like a good day. Good. I'm glad. (laughs) Okay. Anywho, we are headed today back to Long Island. Apparently, quite a few of our listeners were very happy that we love the Long Island accent so much. (laughs) I didn't realize we had so many listeners from Long Island, and now we've said Long Island a million times. We'll stop saying it for a little bit. (laughs) So last week's episode was a rough one. I Honestly, when most people hear Amityville, I think their minds jump straight to the haunting, and it can be easy to forget that at the start of all this, there is a brutal family murder. Yeah, and I think this part of the Amityville story is going to surprise a few of you because we're going to present it to you and you're going to think it's all very cut and dried, but I wouldn't be so sure of that if I were you. We last left off with Butch DeFeo being arrested for the murder of his parents and three siblings. Today, we're going to be getting into Butch's trial as well as his time in prison up until his death in 2021. And don't forget about his numerous appeals, outrageous claims, and even some conspiracy theories. So buckle up, dear listeners, because it is time for the Amityville Haunting Part 2. We won't be talking about the hauntings directly until next week, but we will be getting a bit of a taste today. Okay, so where were we? October 14th, 1975. The trial of Butch DeFeo begins 11 months after the murders. On the side of the prosecution, we have Assistant District Attorney of Suffolk County, Gerard Sullivan, and he was not a fan of old Butch. He believed that Butch DeFeo was a violent and cold-blooded killer who belonged locked up for the rest of his life. His goal was to convince the jury that the man that they were looking at was a sociopath who would strike again. With all of that, he needed to prove that Butch was sane and that he committed the murders with a sound mind and full understanding of what he was doing. On the other side was William Weber, whose only real defense for Butch was that his client was not guilty due to reason of insanity. He needed to convince the jury that the murders were essentially committed while Butch was having a psychotic episode. But if it had gone their way, the case wouldn't have even gone to trial. You may remember from part one that Butch waived his right to have an attorney present when he was originally interviewed by investigators. Weber actually tried to have the entire case thrown out because of this. Obviously, that didn't work. He said that Butch was under duress when he said he didn't need a lawyer, when in reality, he said he didn't need a lawyer because of how innocent he was. This was, of course, back when he was still blaming the murders on Louis Fellini and his crew. Sullivan's plan was to essentially prove to the jury that Butch DeFeo was not only sane, but that he was also a career criminal who understood exactly what he had done. To do so, he called upon numerous witnesses. This included friends of his, the officers that questioned him, and also other members of their family. After that, it was time for Butch to take the witness stand. And it never really turns out well when the defendant of a six-person murder trial goes on the stand as a witness, but Weber wanted the jury to see just how insane his client was. This is where I think Butch really starts acting. Like, Charlotte, I'd love to know your thoughts on all this, and also all of yours, dear listeners, but I think it is all bullshit. I absolutely agree. This part of the trial was quite theatrical. Weber held up a photo of Louise DeFeo, 
Butch said that he had no idea who she was. You heard that right. He pretended that he had never seen his mother before in his life. When asked why he killed his family, he claimed that he did it in self-defense. He attempted to explain himself by saying, As far as I'm concerned, if I didn't kill my family, they were going to kill me. And as far as I'm concerned, what I did was self-defense and there was nothing wrong with it. When I got a gun in my hand, there's no doubt in my mind who I am. I am God. If they wanted people to think he was not sane, they were doing a pretty good job of it. It's just all so cliched, though. Seriously. But you have to remember that this was the kind of guy who thought it was funny to point a loaded shotgun at his friend's face. And honestly, if the prosecution had had a different lawyer, this could have very easily ended up with Butch getting away with the murder of his family and just spending a few years at a mental hospital. Luckily, Sullivan completely had it out for him. He allowed Butch to keep making his claims because it just gave him more ammo when it was his turn to finally question him. I have to say I would have much rather have watched this entire trial rather than all of the Danny Rowling trial tapes because this actually gets pretty wild. He started by questioning the inconsistencies in what he told the police the night he was arrested. As we know now, Butch's story changed numerous times and got more and more outlandish the further he was questioned. Sullivan also asked questions about how he felt during the murders, which didn't exactly go well. We also know from last week that Butch had one hell of a temper and he hated being questioned or basically disrespected in any way. By questioning him, Sullivan was able to just confuse Butch further. He also made him show a much more emotional side. Not as in like he was sad either. No, Butch actually ended up threatening Sullivan while he was on the stand saying, If I had any sense, which I don't, I'd come down there and kill you now. Which, again, not exactly showing the jury an insane person, but definitely showing them a violent one. Butch also claimed that at one point that something drove him to kill his family. He said he heard voices that told him to do it. Things only got more complicated about two months into the trial when it was time for the psychiatrist who had evaluated Butch to be questioned. Interesting little tidbit before we get into the trial, the psychiatrist that testified on behalf of the defense would later end up testifying in the David Berkowitz trial, and I think we need to add Son of Sam to our list because I absolutely loathe David Berkowitz. Oh, absolutely we do, because that one is such an interesting case. Oh, and he was such a little shit too. 100%. The defense claimed that Butch's actions after the crime show that he was not in his right mind. The prosecution, on the other hand, went over all of his actions afterwards, saying that he went out of his way to hide the fact that he committed the crimes, including disposing of the murder weapon in a sewer drain that was pretty far away. And something to point out is that we aren't saying that Butch DeFeo was a completely mentally healthy guy, not by any means. The prosecution psychiatrist stated that he felt the crimes were committed due to Butch having antisocial personality disorder. This means that he was fully aware of his actions and knew that they were wrong, but that he committed the murders for selfish reasons. And remember, no one is trying to say that Butch is innocent. The jury just needed to be convinced of whether or not he acted with intent when he committed the murders. They also mentioned that his abuse of heroin and LSD also likely contributed to his willingness to commit the murders that evening. On November 19th, 1975, the jury began to deliberate. 
They returned with a vote of 10 to 2. 10 members of the jury believed that he was sane, while two still weren't sure. They sat down again and reviewed the transcripts from before he was arrested. After this, all 12 jury members believed that Butch DeFeo was sane when he killed his family. I'm so glad this wasn't one of those cases where, like, the investigation was botched or the trial was a mess because it seems like a lot of very capable people were involved in this because I think he could have very easily walked away from all of this. Yes, I could definitely see it because if a lot of the cases, if a jury can't be convinced then it's considered a mistrial and you start the whole thing all over again, it gets dragged out. And we've seen this with quite a few cases in the past. So the fact that everyone seemed to be fairly competent in this case is kind of surprising, which is such a sad thing to say. Oh, it's so true. Like every time we have a case where things actually like go right in regards to things being done properly, it's surprising. And that's, it, that's not okay. Honestly. So with all that, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. was found guilty on six counts of second degree murder. It should have been first degree. That is honestly such bullshit. Yeah, I definitely don't think that the night he committed the murders was the only time he'd thought about doing what he did. I feel like he this is the kind of thing he had thought about before. Exactly. Like We talked about it in part one. He pointed a gun at his dad and he pulled the trigger once. Like It was pure luck that it didn't go off. But mind you, I hate to say it, I feel like there's a chance that he wouldn't have killed his fa- the rest of his family if he had murdered his dad that day. Like, I think if he pulled the trigger that day and the gun went off and his dad died, he would have been arrested and they would have lived. It's one of those moments where you see the kind of path of history diverge. You know, there's on mm-hmm. one hand, there's the universe where it did indeed go off and whatever happened there happened. 100%. I get what you're saying. And it's there's definitely some alternate universe where the gum went off and either he didn't kill them or he did. But we are in the universe where at the end of the day, he killed both of his parents. He killed his siblings. That should be enough for them to have said this is first degree murder. He was thinking about this. It was definitely a point in history that had a big mark on that family. In the end, he was sentenced to serve 25 years to life in prison. The judge who presided over the case, Justice Thomas Stark, called the crimes the most heinous and abhorrent. And as far as it stood, they had caught their guy and the story was over. But this was one of those times where it just wasn't that simple. And we will get into it next week, but by this point, the Lutz family had already moved into the Amityville house on Ocean Avenue, and news of their experience in the home was already spreading. This episode is nowhere near over. Not by a long shot, because it is time to talk about... Conspiracies! Yes, and as always, when we cover the stranger sides of these stories, we try to approach all of the theories with an open mind. We're honestly very curious to hear what you all think about this. Michael Brigante Sr., the father of Louise DeFeo, refused to believe that his grandson could kill his entire family. He agreed that Butch wasn't exactly an angel, but he wasn't capable of bloodthirsty murder. During the trial, he testified to all of that, saying that it had to have been somebody else. He hired Herman Race, a former New York City police detective, to gather any evidence that the police may have originally missed. And this is where things get really muddled. 
Herman Race actually uncovered some evidence that allegedly showed that the killings were done by at least two different killers. Interesting thing to note here is that the medical examiner said he was baffled when he found out that only one person was going to trial for the murders. During a separate investigation, it also came out that after Butch confessed, he came out of the room covered in bruises. This was actually corroborated by District Judge Signorelli, who was so shocked at Butch's appearance that he ordered a medical exam to be performed on him. His friend Bobby Kelsky and a few other friends also claimed that the police roughed them up in order to get confessions from them. It's worth noting that during this time, the Suffolk County Police Department had a 90% confession rate, and it was proven that some of these confessions were obtained in less than reputable ways. This led to a huge investigation that ended with the entire homicide squad leaving their careers. Some resigned while others were flat out fired. Others just decided to retire early. Either way, the fact that they were all essentially forced to leave their jobs shows that there was a huge amount of abuse coming from the police in order to get confessions. This makes stories of forced confessions from Butch and his friends a little more believable because it was certainly happening at the time. Butch also claimed that he drugged his entire family at one point during his police interview. However, no sedatives were found in any of them during postmortem exams. This is one of those cases where you think you have it all figured out, but once you get into the nitty-gritty, you really start to kind of think about it. Something else that really stood out was the fact that the family didn't wake up to the sound of the gunshots being fired. The gun that Butch used was not outfitted with any kind of modification that would suppress sound. During the late 80s, Butch changed his story further, this time saying that yes, he had participated in the murders, but he didn't act alone. His partner in crime? His sister Dawn DeFeo, the one he killed. Bet you didn't see that coming. He claimed that on the night of the murders, he was getting high in the basement with Dawn and two of his friends. He claims that they were just hanging out when Dawn, who was sick and tired of her father's abuse, asked him to kill their parents. Of course, he said no, but after some more drugs, drinking, and heavy persuasion from Dawn, he changed his mind. The plan was to just kill the parents. However, as we know, that isn't what happened. The story continued with Butch saying that he and one of his friends went into the bedroom and killed his parents. The other friend left the scene and Butch ran after him because he had promised that he would help him clean up. During this time, Dawn went from room to room and murdered her siblings. Something kind of strange that we want to point out is that during the trial, Butch actually never admitted to killing the siblings. He was fine with discussing the murder of the parents, but he refused to talk about any of the other murders. Sadly, there was some proof that the boys were actually awake when they were killed. Something we didn't mention last week is that Mark DeFeo was using a wheelchair during this time due to a football injury. He was forced to sleep on his back due to this, but he was found face down on the bed. That was confirmed at the trial. Dawn supposedly then made her way to the room that she shared with her sister Allison. She shot her in the face. Butch would claim that this was done intentionally to disfigure her because Dawn was jealous of her beauty. And again, all of this is apparently happening while Butch is chasing his friend down the street so that he can help with the cleanup. When he finally returned to the house, he saw what his sister had done and was outraged. 
He got into a physical altercation with Dawn, who still had the gun in her hands. They wrestled, and Dawn ended up slamming her head and being knocked unconscious. Butch grabbed the gun from her and shot her execution style. Charlotte, you said it earlier that this was all a little too cliche, and it really is. It's hard to fathom someone killing their entire family, but all of this, it sounds like a bit much for me. It's it's just a little too dramatic. It's like when someone can't lie, so they just talk too much and they bury themselves further on their own. But when you get into some of the details here, it, it really does actually make you think. It sounds like something that you would see in a movie, and I could imagine, especially with all the drugs that Butch was on, I wonder if some of his sort of fantasies just kind of, he tried to make them reality in a way. So I suppose in that sense, you could argue that he was fairly mentally ill if that was the case. But it is, it's so cliched. It's like, no, I just wanted to save my family from my abusive parents. Well, really, it was only your dad. So why did you kill both of them? You know, like, oh, exactly. Makes sense in some ways, but then it falls apart very quickly. Exactly. It just doesn't add up when you put all of the facts together. And to add more to this mystery, the post-mortem exam done on Dawn showed that she had unburned powder burns consistent with gunpowder on her nightgown. However, during the trial, a ballistics expert named Alfred Della Pena testified that the powder being on her proved that she was in close proximity when the gun was fired, not that she was the one to fire it. So this could have just happened when she was killed. There were also absolutely no signs of struggle on her body, which disproved Butch's story about a fight between the two of them. It is also, again, worth mentioning that at one point, Butch claimed that Dawn actually committed all six murders. Sorry, Butch, I'm just not buying that. No. Butch also went back to his whole mob story a few times, saying that his family was killed due to some kind of mob-related drama. It honestly sounds to me like Butch would get high in the basement. And watch The Godfather or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, he watched too many, like, mobster movies, and that's where he came up with half of the shit. Wouldn't surprise me, because he just sounds like basically a big kid. He's a man-child, right? Yeah. He's been put in, to be fair, a pretty abusive household due to his father. Yeah. And not at all comforted or raised properly and it's created this monster with a massive imagination basically yeah 100% he also went back and forth from saying things like he was in the basement smoking pot when the murders happened to saying that he really did hear voices telling him to do it during that same interview butch brought up someone else who would be very important in this story a defeo you might not have heard us talk about yet geraldine defeo his wife A lot of people don't know that they were married or that she even existed. She went out of her way to hide this after the murders, but in the early 2000s, she finally shared her story with Rick Osuna, who wrote The Night the DeFeos Died. In the book, she says, In 1974, I was not only the wife of Ronald Joseph Butch DeFeo Jr., but also the mother of his child. I knew his family and loved them as my own. Part of my life ended when the DeFeos were murdered and my husband was accused of committing this unspeakable crime. After the DeFeo murders, I have had to remain silent and hidden, partly out of fear for my children and partly out of respect for those who went to such great lengths to make sure I was not unjustly implicated in the crime. 
The ones closest to the DeFeos suffered greatly from the tragic murders of their loved ones and from the ridicule following a cruel hoax. Until July 2000, nothing could be said or done about all the lies told about Butch DeFeo, his family, and their house. Rich, powerful family members made sure of that. But now that they are dead and my children are grown, it is time to set the record straight. At first, many people just assumed that she wanted to make money from her interviews and was just saying all of this for attention. However, she accepted no payment and she refused to do any paid public appearances. There is proof that she was originally planning to participate in the writing of a book, but that she backed out due to ethical concerns. It's also worth noting that while there are many first-hand accounts of them being married prior to the murders, there doesn't seem to be any actual documentation of the marriage. However, there is proof that her name was legally changed to DeFeo. And mind you, quite a few people who are common law consider themselves very much married, so while that this tells us that there was no official marriage, it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't have a serious, like, long-term relationship. Geraldine stood by her man and claimed that the murders were committed by someone else and that it was likely due to a group of very powerful people who had it out for the family. Geraldine was harassed pretty seriously after she made these claims. She also received numerous phone calls from people asking if her daughter was the Antichrist, which, first of all, that's just fucking rude. Like, yeah, this woman crap. has been through hell, never mind anything else, and now you're calling her to see if her children are the devil? Like, what is wrong with you? It just seems really unnecessary. Uh, I don't get it, honestly. People are terrible. Apparently, her and Butch remarried in 1989, but the happiness didn't last, and soon after, Butch began to claim that Geraldine was a fake and that their daughter wasn't actually his. Somehow, I'm not shocked that he was a terrible husband at all. I did some digging and I found a court affidavit that not only says that Butch talked about his daughter, they mention her by name and they talk about her visiting him in prison. One of his psychiatrists also talks about their conversations regarding his wife and daughter. They would fight pretty often, even when he was in jail, and this eventually led to them splitting up. I do want to point out that some of the information about the marriage that's out there is a little bit spotty because some sources say that they were married once, others say twice, some say three times. Either way, they broke up and they got back together a lot. Butch was filing numerous appeals during this time. They were rejected. However, at one point in 1984, he was awarded $300 in damages after being held in his cell for five days after complaints that it caused him mental anguish. In 2006, 31 years after the murders, Butch participated in his first TV interview titled First Person Killers, Ronald DeFeo. And this entire interview is available online. It's about, I think, five, six hours long. Holy cow. Yeah, I highly recommend watching it. I posted the first part on Patreon. It's about an hour and a half long, but it's really fascinating. I didn't find it to be one of those interviews where they, like, glamorize the killer and try to make them look all badass and scary. Like, it was very no bullshit. The other nice thing about the interview is that they also talk about how a lot of what he says is proven lies, and they do show the actual proof. In it, he once again shared different versions of his story. He brought up Dawn, and he claimed that she was the instigator. 
They finish it by saying that they don't believe the story about Dawn, but they are left believing that Butch did kill his family. Geraldine stuck to her story until her death in 2015. Two of her children stand by her claims and even remember meeting Butch when they were younger. There isn't really a ton to talk about when it comes to Butch's final years. We actually looked pretty hard and tried to find out what he was up to that was significant, but it seems like he continued to claim that he didn't act alone. The closest that he has ever come for giving an actual reason for committing the murders was saying that he felt like his family was conspiring against him. What this means, we don't really know. But we do know that he was on a lot of drugs and that probably didn't help with the paranoia. One of the most commonly accepted theories is that he was after his father's life insurance, which was a whopping $200,000 in 1974 money. That's about $1.2 million US today. This is the theory I believe he stole from his dad on a regular basis. He showed he was willing to kill him, so killing him and taking the life insurance policy isn't all that far off. No, and we know that Butch is very money-motivated, whether it's to spend it on drugs or fucking speedboats or cars, right? Like, he sponged off of everybody he knows at this point, so it's not that far afield to think that he would kill someone for the life insurance. Butch was fully aware of the notoriety of his old home and stated numerous times that he did not believe that the house was haunted in any way. He once said, I guess the Amityville horror really is supposed to be me because I'm the one that got convicted of killing my family. I'm the one who they say did it. I'm the one that's supposed to be possessed by the devil. He also said, There was no demon. You know who the demon is. I am the demon. So dramatic. Oh my god. This is the kind of stuff that really shows me that the insanity plea was bullshit. (laughs) I agree. I firmly believe he knew exactly what he was doing and he did it because he wanted to. Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. died while still serving his sentence on March 12, 2021. His death is filled with as many questions as his life was. Yeah, we actually still don't know how he died. As far as we do know, he was taken to the hospital on February 2nd, 2021, and this is where he eventually passed away. The cause of death was officially determined by the Albany County Coroner, but was never released to the public. He was 69 years old. With him gone, the truth about what happened that night at 112 Ocean Avenue will likely never truly be known. And that is the story of Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., family annihilator, bad liar, and overall not great human being. Why do you think he did it? Like, what are, what's your theory? <laughs> I, I stand by what I said. Butch DeFeo, he wanted his father dead because he hated him. Like, his dad abused him for his entire life. Mm-hmm. Money was likely a contributing factor because, like I said, he was already willing to steal from him. I think he killed his mother because she was there and the rest of the family because he lost control. He was on some pretty serious drugs and he had already come very close to murder. I agree. It really hit me when we started talking about the life insurance money Mm -hmm. because it just seems like in his head, he probably felt like he was being very logical about it. He'll be like, yep, I'm going to get my revenge on my abusive father. I'm going to claim the life insurance. Oh, unfortunately, there's a five things in the way of that my family members right so yeah it still feels pretty cut and dried to be honest i was there a chance that there was someone else helping him 
I wouldn't be surprised. But at the end of the day, he's the mastermind here, so to speak. I completely agree with you. Now, we know you're all very excited to actually get into the haunting. So next week, we're going to be hitting the rewind button and going back to the year after the DeFeo family murders. Yes, next week, we will be introducing a new family to you guys, the Lutz family. I cannot wait to get into the hauntings. Yeah, this is where, I mean, if you thought the trial was a little wacky, the hauntings just next level. (laughs) Yep, yep, definitely. Okay, all that being said, anything we need to talk about? Ooh, um, should have some new pins up for you guys on the Etsy store this weekend. Uh, What else do we got? Make sure you check out our Threadless store for all of your other goodies. Oh, yes, yes. Um, We have put in our own order as well. And a couple people out there uh, have actually asked me about putting in orders. So thank you so, so much. Um, We very much appreciate the support. Never required, but always, always appreciated. 100%. It really does mean a lot. But at the end of the day, it just means a lot that people are listening. Straight up. Oh, also, hey, I got something. Yes, yes, yes. This is episode 60. It is! I was thinking about that earlier when I got home from work. Yes, so we've made another little mini milestone. I think it's important to celebrate these little things. It's just nice, isn't it? Yeah, we've grown. We grow, I feel like, a little bit every time we release an episode, and that's very exciting. It really is. Now, it is that time again. We want to thank our amazing Grim VIPs and up. So, a whopping thank you to Bob, Lisa, Pink Flamingo 20, Atlantean Jedi, Brian, Hillary, Judy, Kevin, and Mudkip. Oh, that is truly a beautiful list of names, isn't it? It sure is. If you are listening on a platform that allows you to rate us, please consider leaving a five-star review. It really helps us a ton. And don't forget to follow us on all of the social media things. Thank you all for listening once again. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Dina, did Mm -hmm. you know that as well as nectar from flowers, butterflies will drink blood due to the minerals found in it? Bloodthirsty butterflies. Yeah, there's been some pictures of monarchs feasting on uh, the corpses of other dead animals, so butterflies are pretty fucking metal. Hell yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye!